Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Jay Farner, CEO of Quicken Loans, America's premier home purchase lender. We've created a new way to protect you from unpredictable interest rates. Our exclusive Rate Shield approval. First, we lock your interest rate for up to 90 days. Then, if rates go up, your rate stays locked. But if rates go down, your rate drops. Either way, you win. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Racial approval only valid on certain 30-year fixed rate loans. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Additional conditions or exclusions may apply. Yes! He's a complete <laughs> Yes! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome into the Bird Gang Blitz post-2018 NFL Draft Edition. I'm here with my co-host, uh, John, as always. And, John, uh, if we want to jump right to it, the uh, 2018 NFL Draft is done. It's in the books. And the Arizona Cardinals have a new quarterback, Josh Rosen, traded up from 15 to 10 to get him. And fans are excited and ecstatic. Yeah, I think that's that's the only way to put it. I think going into the draft itself, there were a, a lot of question marks, needless to say, considering what took place a year ago, uh, the Cardinals being jumped for Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. That loomed large. And then leading up to the draft, I think it was the consensus, Blake, amongst the fans that, you know what, we don't really have a shot at you know one of the top four quarterbacks maybe Josh Allen in a trade-up. Uh, we want Lamar Jackson. Everything that we heard from local media, they're not interested in Lamar Jackson. They don't want any part of him. Uh, weren't uh, impressed with, with how he worked uh, the whiteboard in their one-on-ones. Um, and so you start to think about the fact that, you know, Buffalo was going to trade up at some point and that we, I think, Blake, you and I both felt that the Giants were in play to take a quarterback at two. Denver can, you know, depending on how the board would have fallen, taken a quarterback at five. The Cardinals were in a position where they were going to be maybe in that second tier market, which freaked us both both out. We saw what the league really thought of Kyle Laletta. We saw what the league really thought of Mason Rudolph, uh, especially Luke Falk. These were not top 50 prospects, even though we were, you know, led to believe otherwise. Thank God that the Cardinals were able to take advantage, I believe, of the mistakes of other teams, for whatever reason, they labeled Josh Rosen as somebody that they did not think could lead their franchise. And I think the majority of that was based on off the field, you know, propaganda. I don't even want to say concerns. Josh Rosen on the field is the best quarterback prospect in this draft from a throwing and mechanic standpoint. He may not have the mobility of Donald or Baker Mayfield, certainly Lamar Jackson. He doesn't have the size of Darnold or Allen. He doesn't have the arm strength of Allen. But from the, the way this league has been won, the way that, that, that you've been able to win Super Bowls is by throwing from the pocket. We still have not had a true running quarterback showcase his ability in route to a Super Bowl. What wins in this league is being able to go through your progressions and win games, throwing the ball downfield. And that's what Josh Rosen does. 
better than anybody else. He's, he's had three different offenses in his three years at UCLA. He carried what was to the extent a bad UCLA team that the majority of their, you know, three or four star talent was on defense. He had a defensive head coach. He played in probably one of the most competitive um, conferences in all of college football. He, um, he comes from a, a school in which there have been many successful pro prospects, a la Troy Aikman, that have come out of that program. The Pac-12 now breeds NFL quarterbacks. It was always a scenario in which when we got to the offseason, I, you know, all my mock drafts early on, anything that I read, I just assumed that Darnold was going to go one and Rosen was going to go two to the Giants. I set that in my mind that that's how things were going to fall. Um, and then for whatever reason, about three weeks ago, Blake, we started to hear word that Rosen was not considered the number two quarterback by a lot of teams in the top 10 mm-hmm. for, for reasons that I mentioned, so wh- whether it be off the field concerns about his you know, intellectual capability, the fact that he was a millennial, he was smarter than the room. And then there were obviously some durability concerns with, you know, multiple concussions last year and the year before, I believe he broke his collarbone. But I think those got played way out of hand. I think teams wanted to talk themselves into Baker Mayfield, into Josh Allen. You know, I'm a Sam Darnold fan. He was my number one quarterback, but Darnold and Rosen to me are blue chip quarterback prospects both worthy of being the number one pick and the Cardinals for the first time in a long time. And they used to be the opposite. They used to be on the opposite end, took advantage of other teams, poor decision-making because I believe half of this league is getting lucky and jumping on the opportunities that bad franchises give you. And I consider the New York giants franchise to be one of the more successful ones in the NFL. That's why I just assumed he was going to go there. But by the time they passed, took inexplicably a running back at number two in Saquon Barkley, you know, we'll go through the top 10, you know, piece by piece and, and unfold how it exactly took place. But I, I keep going back and I'll end this, you know, opening rant with the following. You think about the 1983 draft and Dan Marino going tw- inexplicably 27. To the, uh, to the Miami Dolphins. I, ESPN did a, a documentary on that draft because it's so, so historic with, I think, six Hall of Famers, you know, three Hall of Famers at the quarterback position in Elway, Kelly, and Marino. And for whatever reason, team after team after team passed on Dan Marino and his agent broke it down in the documentary and basically said to Dan that night, Dan, I, I have no way of explaining this. I don't know why Tony Eason is going ahead of you other than the fact that these teams are not very smart. And I know, and that just, that, that quote stuck with me Thursday and and throughout this weekend, based on the fact that, you know, I don't know if Rosen's going to pan out, but I I feel a heck of a lot better that he's going to be better than Josh Allen, that he's going to be better with whatever Denver's going to trot out this year. You know, I feel more confident in Josh Rosen being a better quarterback in the long run than, Jameis Winston that we've seen over the past couple of years. And the fact that every, every negative that I've heard has been off the field when they're trying to, you know, come up with something really out of nothing that, that to me, the 83 draft and Marino falling inexplicably for off the field concerns is what I kept going back to. Yeah, definitely. It's something that's really interesting. Just looking at how with the 
the Cardinals and Josh Rosen specifically, he's a quarterback that typically goes in the top five, no matter what year it is, no matter what draft it is. Um, you have the size, the arm, pro potential. Uh, this is a guy who is a very mentally savvy quarterback. Uh, that's the one thing that seems to stand out always is just the mind that he has, as well as just the fact that he's a personality. Uh, I, I, that's just, just look at some of the quotes that he talked about with nine guys being drafted ahead of him. You look at articles he talks about, you know, like whether it's about terraforming Mars. Uh, he even, I believe, dropped a Star Trek reference in a radio spot. This is a guy who's not your typical kind of cut and dry stand up tell you what you did right what you did wrong this is a guy who's very bold and very brash and i re- i agree with you i think that might be part of the reason why he may have fallen is because maybe nfl teams like guys who are bold and brash but they like them on their terms and you know I, we've talked about i think in the past but especially looking at with steve kyman i think that's one of the biggest things we'll get into in a, in a second about what we've learned from steve kyman from this draft but what we learned a lot through the process wasn't even as much about rosen so much as the nfl teams in general about how they have felt about not just their quarterbacks, but also the way that they wanted to put their teams together. Um, so just look, looking at the top 10, Baker Mayfield going number one was a shock to people when it came out about 24 hours before the draft. For some, it was kind of a expected just because they had Mayfield high. I, I did have Mayfield as the quarterback one on my board due to the accuracy, um, d- due to also just the facts of looking at his passing and the ability. It's just a guy who you might not be able to get the highest level output at least like he he probably is never going to be drew Brees, but you knew that he was going to be a guy who wasn't going to fail whether it's a jeff garcia or case keenum level i felt like he was the guy who went there but it was still surprising that the browns took him at number one and the giants with 37 year old eli manning did not seem to learn from the mistakes that the arizona cardinals had made twice and allowing kurt warner and carson palmer to walk away from them they grab a running back in Saquon Barkley, and while he might be the best pure maybe player in the draft, the positional value is just fascinating. You look at that, they're going to be paying him, uh, I believe it's more than, he's, he automatically has the highest paid running back contract in NFL history just from that, and that's as a rookie. doesn't even talk about what gets into if he goes there, you know, five years down the road at least, which is crazy, and uh, I think that when you look at how the things fell next, the biggest difference that happened at least was with, uh, the the trade that was made at least by the Denver Broncos to the Buffalo Bills that was reported before the draft never materialized because the Browns went with Denzel Ward. And as a result, Josh Allen ends up going at seven to the Bills. The Bills trade up. Steve Keim reportedly had Josh Allen as the number one quarterback on his board. Apparently, uh, uh, from most teams we're finding out, is that Baker Mayfield may have actually been a giant or a jet if the Browns hadn't taken him. And that's kind of what's really fascinating is if this has all been set up, at least by Cleveland, and then this has all been set up by the Bills, as we've talked about, that's their guy. It's been their guy since the Combine in 2017. And then you look at how the the things fell with the luck as far as with Mike McGlinchey being taken by the San Francisco 49ers right before the Raiders pick, allowing Arizona to move up before he had a chance to fall to Miami. It's fascinating because it shows you in one case how the NFL draft, not only is it totally unpredictable, but it does show you at least that Steve Kime was not willing to trade up into the top five for a guy like Josh Rosen. And I think that's interesting because we criticized, I think, some of that if they chose not to trade up for a quarterback in this draft. And if one went ahead of them having a repeat of 2017, or if they ended up just not seeing value and passed on it, we talked about potentially this team, if Bradford got hurt of quickly spiraling down and ending up in a terrible situation next year, that didn't happen. Um, that 
that boldness that Steve Kime showed told us a lot about him, about how not only was he wanting to get a quarterback, he wanted to get one that was at good price and at good value. And maybe it's not over the best decision, at least just, you know, not sometimes you got to have to get that guy. They went into the draft, not knowing if they were going to get that guy, no matter what. But I think it's important to recognize that because Steve Kime continues to focus on value now that they have got that franchise quarterback and what's, What's also just impressive is the cost. We haven't even talked about the cost yet. They gave up a third-round pick and a fifth-round pick to move up those five spots. And the Raiders clearly either their board was wiped clean. They had no idea what they were going to. They probably wanted to get something for Colton Miller, didn't want to take him top 10. Uh, Things just happened to fall to just the right way at the Cardinals. And I just got to say, it reminds me a lot. You're talking about Dan Marino. It does remind me a lot of the guy that Josh Rosen spent a ton of time with before the combine and uh, the same agent actually as him and Aaron Rodgers. Um, just watching some of the conversations where they would have going, we're seeing how Rodgers has really worked. Uh, he's worked his tail off just to get to a point where he can be kind of the best one to play the game, even though he may not have the championships. But as far as pure quarterbacking, being able to combine the mental state that he has with the actual solid mechanics of delivery, uh, it was just, I think, a, not just a home run for theirs and the Cardinals, but you can call it a grand slam just because we get to go into this, we have to go into day two the Cardinals still having a second round pick, them still having a third round pick and still having their first, second and third next year. So uh, by all intents and purposes, this is the area we've talked about where now you can start turning the, turning the team around, having a quarterback that's young, you can be able to actually build around someone who's not having to sit out four or five years. And you're able to kind of recognize now that you've got that rookie contract deal. And we can talk a little bit more about how that will play out with some of their picks. But overall, it's just kind of when you're talking about a home run, we said that Kime in this draft, it was probably the most important draft that this franchise has had, uh, maybe even since Warner left at least. But it was probably more important than that because they did not have a quarterback on the roster. And now they're, for one of the few times you can actually say there's two solid veteran quarterbacks that are standing in front of their guy they took in the top 10. We don't have to rush them onto the field. It's, it's just a great situation, John. Yeah, I echo all that, Blake, and I'll go on to say, build on what you said about how this sets up the Cardinals cap-wise in the next couple years, the next half decade or so, how important it is to have your franchise quarterback on that five-year rookie deal, assuming you pick up that fifth-year option. The Cardinals right now, I believe, are projected to have $80-plus million plus in cap space next year. So what you see with the St. Louis, or excuse me, the LA Rams, what you've seen with some of these teams over the past couple years that have gone, quote unquote, they've gone for it with these rookie contracts in place for the quarterback, it allows them to be ultra aggressive in free agency. It allows them to take on maybe large um, veteran contracts via trade. The Cardinals are going to have presumably going in, and I know I'm skipping a year entirely, but they're going to go into 2019 with presumably Josh Rosen as their starting quarterback on a rookie contract. And they're going to have a plethora of draft cap, draft capital and cap space to work with. And so you think about the fact that this could or could not be Larry Fitzgerald's last year. What is this offense going to look like in 2019 with Josh Rosen at the helm? My biggest concern, and we'll touch on these picks uh, here in a second, Blake, the concern I think for a lot of fans is the offensive line. Um, no surprise to anybody who watched the draft. Um, they addressed it to some extent in the third round, but still how many question marks you have on that offensive line. Do you really want to subject Josh Rosen to what could be a difficult rookie season in an ultra competitive 
NFC West that boasts the likes of the, you know, the fearsome say, uh, LA Rams front four in Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald. Um, the fact that the offensive line needs a complete overhaul, potentially uh, you hope that your third round pick is able to contribute Mason Cole. You hope DJ Humphreys, who just had his fifth year option picked up is your answer. Uh, you hope Justin Pugh can play good play at right guard, but at the very least, you're going to need a left guard and potentially a right tackle going into 2019. Go back to my original point. This allows Steve Kime to go into next off season and essentially buy an offensive line with the amount of money that they have in place. It allows him to, because he has all, his entire draft class intact, all of his picks, it allows him to address any kind of needs he has on the offensive line in the 2019 draft. So that allows the Cardinals to plug and play a, a lot of these, fill a lot of these holes in a lot of different unique ways. Whereas you think about if the Cardinals were in Minnesota spot and they have signed Kirk Cousins and they're paying him upwards of 23, 24, $25 million a year, that basically handicaps them in being aggressive and filling other holes. And we've seen this roster got a nice young core on defense. You've got a franchise quarterback and a, a franchise caliber rusher on offense. This, this team has a lot of holes that it needs to address. They're trying to rebuild or retool on the fly from the Arians era. You're not going to be able to do that. If you're paying Kirk cousins, big money, even if you're paying case Keenum, big money on a multi-year deal. Uh, that's why we saw the Denver Broncos elect to go with Bradley Chubb, an impact player now, instead of a developmental quarterback like a Josh Allen or Josh Rosen. The Cardinals now have the opportunity to get some experience for the young quarterback this year, see what happens, develop some young players, go into 2019 now with the plan in place that I've got my quarterback, presumably on a cheap deal. I've got some young players I'm excited about, and I've got a lot of money and draft capital to build this roster into a perennial Super Bowl contender. And that's the most appealing thing because you see these young quarterbacks, whether it's Wentz before he got hurt or Russell Wilson, these teams that are continually competing and winning championships, you know, and I'll disclude new England because they're an anomaly. That's how you get it done. Eventually knock on wood, the Cardinals are going to have to pay Josh Rosen premium money, but that's going to be 2022, 2023, 2024. This is the window now for the Cardinals to build the foundation for championships. That's the best part about this, because if they would have gotten, you know, a mid-tier quarterback and let's say they developed the Kyle Laletta in a year or two or two or three years, and they don't know what they had in the young man until 2020, by the time that you're able to get that process going, that individual's contract is up. And we've seen that happen with San Francisco and Jimmy Garoppolo. His, his rookie contract was up at the end of the year. They played him in five games he went five and oh, he was impressive in some clearly showed he's capable. Then they had to turn around and hand him a six uh, figure NFL con or a seven figure NFL. No, I'm sorry. Eight figure NFL contract. That was just, you know, based on a few games for that franchise. Cardinals aren't in that position. They did that with Kevin Cobb. It blew up in their face. They're finally in a position now where they're in the driver's seat. They have an opportunity to play their young quarterback, probably in year one, but again, I'll go back to my original point. At what point are you concerned, Blake, about the fact that the offensive line is still the biggest question mark and Josh Rosen has had some injury concerns in the past? 
Yeah, I think that's what people have talked about as far as with the concussions. Uh, I think the biggest reason why they've at least brought that up is because he did not play in that Cactus Bowl game. Uh, Steve Kime actually did show up to that game um, and watch Rosen, Rosen throw and was kind of you know on hand in case he was going to play. Uh, but I think with uh, with every player, you can say there's injury concerns. Like Aaron Rodgers right now has had collarbone concerns you could talk about. And so rather than trying to hand wave it off, I think you need to recognize that it is something that is, you know, a concern that was there coming out. But when you start talking about the, the fact is with his line that he played behind at UCLA, the scheme that was there, the biggest issue that he has to do is really just kind of speed up some of the throws and the decision-making. But we're not talking about a Ryan Mallett here. You're not talking about a Zach Mettenberger who's immobile, can't make moves. You're just talking about a guy who is, he, he is let's be real, he was on a bad team. And in some cases, he elevated the play of the guys around him, but he didn't elevate them to wins, which is part of where when you start talking about some of the you know, some of the potential negatives that people are looking at is the biggest one is that he's not this uh, hyper athletic quarterback. He's not a Lamar Jackson. He's not a guy like a um, Sam Darnold who we saw make multiple plays, you know, on the run, Uh, even Baker Mayfield, at least we've seen from that. Uh, Mayfield also had an excellent line in Oklahoma, but what it's going to come down to is Steve Kime is part of the reason why I think that you are embracing this two-year type of rebuild is that you can trot out Bradford and Glennon out there, and if you lose your potty to injury, if Pew can't stay healthy, DJ Humphreys has been a a bit of an issue at least, and then Andre Smith is getting up there in age. If things start going downhill, you do not have to subject your quarterback to taking those type of hits. You at least have two guys who are in front of them, and I think that's part of what's been great about this design and uh, with the Cardinals for if they were going to go after a quarterback and I think we have learned a lot about Steve Kime from this as well. Um, this is the, let's talk a little bit about this too, because we talked before the draft, and this is the kind of the biggest overlying thing that was brought up that I said was that I believe that this draft would show us whether Steve Kime was a guy who was a good and a smart general manager who had gotten unlucky, or if he was a poor general manager who had gotten lucky and had kind of the influence of Bruce Arians guiding the team. And after this draft, I think when you look at him recognizing that they needed a quarterback, making sure he made the move, giving up as little as he did, I think that we can at least say that this is a guy who at least knows what he wants to do. And after that, it's more of the results. And, you know, we can always bicker about results-based GMing at least. But what's important, I think, that we've – and we mentioned about this was, was Kime going to learn from his mistake that he talked about even saying that he owned up to it in 2017 by not making that move, giving up a third for a Patrick Mahomes. This year he gave up a little bit more than that, gave up a third and a fifth-round pick. Um, we can go into some of the fallout of the, missing the fifth year when we start going over the players. But I think it's interesting also that I wanted to bring up was uh, looking at the fit with Mike McCoy, we know that Lamar Jackson was never on their plan. Uh, which I think is kind of ironic since if Bruce Arians had stayed a year, we had thought that Arians leaving would open the team up to taking a player like Jackson. Turns out in, in real life, it ends up being the opposite where they were locked in on Josh Allen and Josh Rosen. Is there concerns that we have at least with Steve Kine? Because despite the fact that he's got the quarterback, he's got the plan. Are there any concerns that we have? Because this is a guy who he had quarterback one was Josh Allen, who I, I think you and I have talked about how just the expectations that were there or trading up for him seem to basically kind of set up the expectation where it's more likely that he'll fail. Is there a concern that we've had about having a guy like Amir Abdullah over David Johnson? Uh, that was the, all of the stuff that went in. I think that by them actually being definitively saying, this is the quarterback we're going to make a move for. We don't just take him because he's there at 15. We're going to be aggressive and going up and getting him. I think that we have our answer for that. Uh, do you have any, and the, it seems like there's been a bit of swagger that Kime has had as well. Like you've seen those times where people ask, Oh, well, if Josh Rosen works out, and he's like, 
what do you mean if Rosen's going to work out? And he just had this kind of more laid back, more kind of almost you could say kind of an Arians type cockiness to him now that he knows that he got his guy and he knows he got him for a steal of a price. Um, I just wanted to ask John, are there any other concerns that you think that you have at least with Kaim and the staff from there, from what we've learned with Steve Kaim? Are we kind of, or are we just cemented now in having faith, you know, the in kind of we trust? Is this going to be a guy who, um, we're going to be able to trust for the long run, at least you think moving forward with the Arizona Cardinals as their general manager after just getting his five-year extension. You know, I, I think you can trust him now that he's got the quarterback in place. And we've heard this saying, you know, sometimes, especially with NFL quarterbacks, it's better be lucky than good. Right. Because I've heard Pete Prisco, CBS sports basically come out and say that really none of these franchises, none of these general managers know if a quarterback is going to pan out. And they all have difference of opinion as to what they're looking for. But, you know, I go back to the draft a, a few years ago when everybody in the latter half of the first round wanted Paxton Lynch, including Steve Kime. And Jerry Jones thought long and hard about trading up for him. And he didn't. And he basically couldn't sleep that night. You remember that story? And then the same thing happened the next day with Christian Hackenberg. And he passed on him again. And eventually took a flyer on Dak Prescott on day three in the fourth round, fourth round comp pick, I believe. And Dak Prescott is now one of the more young, promising quarterbacks in the NFL. May never win a championship, but clearly is a franchise quarterback. Jerry Jones didn't know that Dak Prescott was going to be one of the better players in that draft. Otherwise, he would have taken him much earlier. At the end of the day, I hope that Josh Allen was not Kime's top choice at quarterback just based on how different of a prospect he is from Josh Rosen. To me, I don't know how you can like both guys because they're so different. One comes from, you know, perennial power uh, in terms of producing NFL quarterbacks, NFL prospects in UCLA. One comes from a small school in Wyoming. One has, you know, the maturity in terms of uh, the intellectual standpoint and being able to challenge his coaches. Uh, the other has shown some immaturity and uh, we had they had some uncomfortable tweets that come out about Josh Allen. Again, I don't want to hold too much against them, but they're just Rosen and Allen are, are such polar opposites that I would hope Kime had leaked that out there and made it known that Allen was his favorite in the hopes that Buffalo, like they did, would trade up and he'd have an opportunity either Rosen or Darnold or Mayfield. Blake, we were never on the Allen bandwagon. I think we would have accepted the fact that you know if they had taken him, we would have tried to look at it with a clean slate. But again, I've said this many times, he's just too similar to what the Cardinals have dealt with, with John Skeleton, Logan Thomas, with Ryan Lindley, with Derek Anderson, big armed quarterbacks who look the part, but can't complete, you know, 50, 55% of their throws. And that's not what wins in this league. What wins are completions, accuracy. Uh, the intermediate passing game is where championships are won, is where quarterbacks are made. Um, you got to be able to complete uh, those dig routes on, you know, third and 15, when things aren't perfect, you got to be able to, you know, go through your progressions and look at your second and third reads and keep drives alive. You can't just expect guys to come out and throw 60 yard bomb, you know, pass plays, your offensive line's going to break down. You're going to have people in your face. You've got to be able to play through adversity. Alan, to me, you know, I'm not rooting against him, but at the end of the day of the four quarterbacks that were drafted in the top 10, he's clearly the one that if you had to put money on busting, he would be it based on Buffalo's supporting cast, based on the division, based on the fact that, you know, he doesn't go to an overly strong offensive philosophy in Buffalo 
that's a defensive-minded head coach on a defensive team that made the playoffs last year that just shipped out his left tackle. Whereas Josh Rosen comes into the fold, you're bringing back David Johnson, who missed a year ago. We'll talk about the second-round addition of Christian Kirk, which is phenomenal. And you've got Steve Kime, who hopefully will continue to prioritize the offensive line. But again, Blake, you talked about some of Kime's moves in the past that have, that have worked out, like you know having Amir Abdullah go ahead of him and, and being forced to take David Johnson around later. I think now that he has the quarterback, we've seen him be aggressive, move up for players like Buda Baker in the second round of the 2017 draft. We've seen him trade back and stockpile additional thirds like he did with, um, I believe it was John Browning in uh, Kareem Martin in that 2014 NFL draft. So, yeah. And we've seen was, him, and we've seen him package. Draft, yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. We've seen him package picks in the off season as high as a second round pick to trade for the likes of Chandler Jones. Cardinals clearly won that trade. I think the only question mark that we had could he be aggressive enough to go up and give up what it takes to get the franchise quarterback? I I was standing there in front of my television, basically pleading to Steve once the Bears were on the clock to trade up and get Josh Rosen. And after the bears made their pick and we got to San Francisco, you knew the Cardinals weren't going to trade with him. And, and their only hope left was his relationship with the Oakland Raiders. And Steve has come out and said he had multiple conversations with the Oakland Raider, GM Reggie McKenzie during that week, basically saying that if a player we like, assuming Josh Rosen is there, we would like to propose a trade. We would like to be able to give you X, Y, and Z compensation and I think you were right, Blake. I think Oakland panicked. I think their board was picked clean. Uh, I think they just basically took an offer at the end of the day because they felt like, and I know a lot of people felt this way, this was a weak first round in terms of you know, b- premier talent, first round talent. Uh, I heard GM this week say that there were only about 15 to 20 guys he had first round grades on. And you get into those picks you know, in the twenties and it's kind of picked over a lot of these guys, you probably think could have gone in the second round of a lot of other drafts. So, um, you know, I, I'm glad that this is done now. We don't have to speculate anymore. Uh, I hope Kyle would have been able to give up more if necessary, because at the end of the day, as great as Christian Kirk is, as great as he's having a first next year, none of that matters if you don't have the, the right kind of guy pulling the trigger at quarterback. And so I applaud Steve for getting it done. Uh, I was in disbelief based on what the compensation he had to give up. Um, and so I have all the faith in the world, assuming he can get this offensive line straight, that he can build what he did in 2015, 2014, which were, which were uh, some of the better rosters in the NFL. Yeah, for sure. And then um, just speaking of the compensation, just the shock that you heard from a lot of the local media when they heard like a third and a fifth is what? And then people were just talking about like, I I just feel sad for the Raiders. And I think it's worth noting that this is the second time the Cardinals have gotten kind of a major steal of a quarterback from the Raiders, but it also reflects well on Kime just because you look at how since he's taken over the team, the team came into 2013 needing a quarterback and needing basically just any type of identity on offense. They had to rebuild the offensive line in 2013 as well. Kime gets Carson Palmer, ends up with a 10-6 and record after that first year. You look at him going into 2014 where the team ends up getting stronger um, with Carson Palmer despite the injuries that keep winning games. Uh, They needed an offensive tackle that year. They get Jared Valdier. He needs a running back. They go into 2015 
um, where they have to basically get a new linebacker um, just because of Daryl Washington's situation, at least they're able to move Dale Buchanan out there because they needed a safety. They needed a running back that year as well. They get to David Johnson. They needed a, a veteran pass rusher entering into the 2016 season to go along with Marcus Golden. He gets Chandler Jones. And then this year, you look, they needed a quarterback and they needed a wide receiver too. So first he goes and gets Sam Bradford, a guy who – when you're comparing him to the McCowns and you're comparing him to the Bridgewaters, um, it wasn't Kirk Cousins, but he was able to get him on a pretty good deal at $15 million for the year. Some don't like it just because of the confidence, but this is a guy who will get you about, you know, the seven, eight wins or so. Not, you're not going to have a three and 13 season with the healthy Sam Bradford. And he needed a young quarterback and a wide receiver too. So each time there seems to be some type of need, Steve Keim always seems to have risen to the occasion and found some way to address that need. And part of why the Cardinals are not really expected to go back to that three and 13 season, even if they do end up for a season, the feeling now with that quarterback in the fold is it's just going to be temporary for that. And maybe some fans would even not mind it as much considering the defensive draft that's supposed to be excellent next year. But I do want to touch on one more thing just before we move on to the prospects where you talked about Rosen and being a guy who, when things got tough, you know, that's, I guess it's where, when things got happened, he got hit. There's a quote, at least, that was really powerful about it from um, the fact that when he played Texas A&M, that's the kind of the game that Cardinals fans should go. Cardinals fans should go back and hang their hats on because uh, I was watching that game uh, live. Uh, I was in Michigan at the time. I'm just uh, you know on a Christmas break, I believe, and uh, I would say uh, fall break actually, since it was over the. Um, it was over for Labor Day. And I turned on the game, wanted to watch Rosen play, just, just looking at the quarterbacks for this year. And the team got off to being down by 34 points. And entering into the end of the third quarter, the start of the fourth quarter, I turned the game off. Um, checked the Twitter for a little bit and found out that, hey, they're coming back. They're only going to be about, you know, they're only 21 points down and they've got the ball and are driving. I turned the game back on. And it was one of the most incredible quarterback performances because if you start talking about a Kurt Warner and the uh, the Super Bowl as far as being able to dissect a defense having the confidence just the plays that were making there was there was a bit of luck in some of the plays that were there but you just had this kind of gut sense of confidence that he was not going to allow this team to lose that game just having the 34 point huge comeback uh, where he rallied them and then just being able to get down to that. Uh, there was one player member that was uh, a mistake that he had made where under through a pass should have been picked off, goes right to the DB's hands, the wide receiver runs into it for a touchdown. It just reminded me of Carson Palmer with that playoff game with Fitzgerald, with that bounce off pass that landed in Michael Floyd's lap. And then with the final part, uh, final portion of the game was just the waning seconds, Rosen running up to the line, motioning that he'll spike the ball, and then just pulling a total Dan Marino. You, you gave the Dan Marino comparison earlier. A fake spike throws a perfectly placed pass for a touchdown. Uh, it was just this kind of reminder of if that's a game that you're going to sell yourself on, that's probably the kind of Josh Rosen that you, if we see him develop in the NFL into what he could be, that's probably the highest point that we're going to get. And uh, it's interesting when you look at how guys like Jim Mora, he, he apparently was not a Josh Rosen fan. And not only that, he also lambasted him in an interview a week before he started and set a new freshman. Uh, it was the first UCLA freshman and threw a record as far as for with yards and touchdowns that opening game. So this is a guy who's been in a terrible situation. He said coaches who didn't believe in him, coaches who didn't really want him coach who basically threw him under the bus and, kind of had to dig his way out of it after he got fired. And I think that Rosen's now that he's got a cast that I believe in him, there's going to be a whole lot that you'll be able to, um, of hope amongst Cardinals fans moving forward. 
All right, uh, let's go. So a little bit over with the just the rest of the first round afterwards, you need to see some other interesting choices. We got to see the Saints not trade up for Lamar Jackson. They went up and took Marcus Davenport. Raiders, as we know, took um, the uh, blindside protector who eventually moved to right tackle for Rosen and Colton Miller. And uh, I understand the athleticism, but this is uh, interesting with watching Colton Miller, seeing who the Raiders got. This is a guy who could not protect Josh Rosen. I found that kind of interesting, at least with that. And then overall, you did end it with Lamar Jackson going to the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, what's interesting is we've noted at least already is that the way that the teams are set up right now in the NFL, the NFC West now has four young quarterbacks in the division. And of that, the Cardinals now have Josh Rosen as the youngest quarterback. He's, he's 21 years old, turned 21 on February 2nd. And that is just incredible to me when you've got a 21-year-old quarterback. And they're going to have two years for Russell Wilson. He's already on his paid deal. Jimmy Garoppolo's already had his contract extension. The Niners aren't going to be as flexible as the Cardinals. Rams are going all in for this year. But the Cardinals in, uh, you know, I believe it's 2020, 2021, and 2022 – they're going to have Rosen on that rookie deal where the rest of the NFC West will have their quarterbacks paid up. So I think that's a huge opportunity to look at it. This is going to be about a two-year rebuild, at least getting back in there. Maybe in years three, four, and five, you can start seeing this team. And if Rosen's going to be that, uh, is going to be that guy, and I think he will, they might be able to uh, compete for some championships uh, uh, if they can you know, get to that high level and kind of can keep building the team. One of the guys who helped him get there is a local product in Christian Kirk. And John, after this pick was made, you immediately called this a dream draft. Why did you say that after the Cardinals selected Christian Kirk after he fell to them at pick 47 in the second round? Yeah, I thought this was a pick that was always connected to the Cardinals. I remember speaking to my dad uh, two weeks before the draft, and he was infatuated with Kirk's highlights. Um, we had seen the connection and the kind of the mentorship that Kirk has with Larry Fitzgerald uh, was participating in the Fitzgerald local softball game for charity, uh, taking pictures with Larry. Obviously, they're very close. You mentioned he, he's a local product of Arizona, uh, went on to have a phenomenal career at Texas A&M. But he said to me, um, man, it would be great to get him with Larry for Larry's last year or two to mentor him and to have him either be the successor or to be you know, kind of the compliment Larry needs that he really, we haven't had since Anquan Bolden. And I said, well, you're not going to take him at 15 because that's way too high. And then, you know, probably in the twenties, he's going to go. Um, and presumably the Cardinals hopefully would have already traded up for a quarterback, taking a quarterback at 15, or if they trade back into the twenties, you're assuming they're going to take somebody like Mason Rudolph. That was the discussion that we had in the early part of April and um, that just kind of stuck with me because every day we got closer to the draft, you thought you heard that these receivers were being undervalued uh, based on the fact that previous drafts have seen the receiver position not produced specifically in the first round, the results that we wanted. John Ross was a disaster last year. Uh, Mike Williams did not play particularly well for San Diego. Um, you know, it's escaping me the receiver for Tennessee, Corey Davis. Uh, was up and down. Those were three receivers that went in the top 10 that did absolutely nothing a year ago. And I think that reflected to this year's draft, the first receiver we saw off the board. Uh, a lot of people assume he will be the best of this group. DJ Moore went to Carolina at pick 24. So you began to see some of these receivers undervalued. And we get to day two, and Cortland Sutton's still on the board, and Christian Kirk's still on the board, and Anthony Miller on the, are on the board. And a lot of these guys have top 40 top 32 grades and 
Blake, there was a list that, um, that was released on, I think it was Friday morning of about five prospects. The Cardinals were presumably targeting with Mm -hmm. their pick 47 in the second round. And I think one of the first choices we would have probably made would, would have been a trade down, assuming some talent fell, but the board was just getting gobbled up by a lot of the quality players. You know, they were connected to Will Hernandez. He went for the Giants. Austin Corbett was a name they liked out of Nevada because he can play all five positions. He went first pick of, of day two to the, to the Browns. They liked Nick Chubb to some extent. I, I don't think they would have taken him. Uh, they liked James Daniels, Chicago Bears center, pick 39. So the players that they liked up front were getting gobbled up. And you kind of saw a trend in the early part of the 20s up until about pick 39 with Daniels that the interior offensive line was a premium position to nab. And so when all of those guys got drafted and Christian Kirk was sitting there for the Cardinals and the Cardinals literally after um, Josh Jackson was drafted right before them, uh, the Chiefs traded up and took Breland Speaks, the linebacker from Old Miss. The Cardinals literally turned in their pick the minute that uh, they were on the clock. And it was clearly obvious that they wanted to make Christian Kirk a Cardinal based on the fact that, number one, he has outstanding tape. He's exactly what they need from a number two receiver in the fact that um, he has incredible um, speed out of his break. He's got, I would say, above average hands. He's somebody that plays bigger than his size. He's about 5'11", 200, 205. He can return punts and, and kicks. He was uh, first team All-SEC in 2016, first team All-SEC in 2017, played with subpar quarterbacks, to say the least, at Texas A&M. Uh, was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, out of Arizona, and just the perfect compliment to Larry Fitzgerald. High-character young man. I think his best pro comp right now is Golden Tate. I'd say, you know, Golden Tate, what what has he ever done? He's probably a second-tier receiver. Well, Golden Tate has had one of the better career resurgence that we've seen in the NFL with the Detroit Lions. Multiple 1,000-yard seasons, was grossly underused in his early days um, with the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, The last couple of years, I believe he's caught 99, 90, 91, and 92 receptions. So he has never had less than 90 receptions with the Detroit Lions. Four out of three out of his four years, he's had over a thousand yards, uh, multiple seasons with double digit touchdowns. His um, height and weight, 5'10, 200. That's his pro comp to me. Um, I think he can be just as good as soon as Josh Rosen is in the fold and playing well. Um, and yeah, I, I said it was a dream draft. I think that any combination, and I love Christian Kirk, any combination of Kirk. And Rosen or Rosen and uh, Rosen and a Those are guys that I assumed when the draft started they were going to go in the twenties. For whatever reason, um, they did not. We saw a run on again a lot of the centers, junior offensive linemen. A couple linebackers went late. You know, Rashawn Evans to me is a second round pick. Isaiah Wynn is probably a second round pick. Clearly, Hayden Hurst was a second round pick. Rashad Penny was overdrafted. Terrell Edmonds was, I had a third round grade on, um, you know, Mike Hughes is probably a fringe first rounder, depending on who you ask. A lot of these guys went, you know, a little earlier than I think they should have gone, which pushed the likes of Christian Kirk and some of these other quality players today too. Cardinals had a lot of good options, probably could have traded up for some of these guys if they wanted to, but felt comfortable enough with their board. And it's clear how quickly they jumped on that pick 
what they think of Christian Kirk, and I think it's going to work out great. Well, yeah, when you look at uh, with, when he was actually at Fitzgerald's softball tourney, it was kind of a, to me, it was an indicator of, it felt like he was already a Cardinal in a lot of senses. Just Absolutely. Just because of the sense that you only felt that like the team was going to love him. They needed a number two wide receiver. Kaim wanted that guy. The players he's gone up against. And then I just, as an ASU fan, I remember um, having a late night with, it was just a lot of really, really hyped up uh, atmosphere. The team was playing Texas A&M on the road. And Christian Kirk single-handedly, when the Texas A&M's quarterback could not do a thing against Arizona State's defense, he single-handedly got two returns that basically, with a, a big play and then a return that killed the Sun Devils and just sunk their hopes of being able to have an awesome season. And it stung as an Arizona sports fan because, you know, you wanted him to be that guy who would stay, go to ASU. He ended up goes instead to an SEC school and ends up becoming an all-SEC player against the not Pac-12 cornerbacks, but against SEC cornerbacks. Uh, I love the Golden Tate comparison because I do think that that's his level. Uh, I've seen some people have said that he's got a little Odo Beckham in him. I think that may be a little lofty as far as for the comparison, perhaps with the hops, but you're going to get at least one year, maybe with Rosen. Now you've got two of him being able to be that understudy with Larry Fitzgerald. And this is a guy who uh, I think is a perfect fit character-wise as well. This is a guy who started in eighth grade, basically working on dedicating his body to being, uh, you know, getting ready for the NFL. It's not like a guy who had to figure something out in college. This is a guy who is openly stated he wants to make an impact in the community in which he grew up. So when you're looking at a Tyron Matthew leaving and someone being able to kind of continue that tradition and getting a hometown hero, um, I think it was a fantastic fit. Some of the other players, at least, that we were looking at for the Cardinals were interesting because they are, um, you know, that was, I believe, the uh, they were called with uh, one of the local media. They were all positions that we saw the Cardinals could have addressed but didn't dallas goder the goder the tight end out of south dakota state they did not take a tight end in this draft still perhaps a big need as far as for being able to find a consistent guy with jermaine gresham hurt they did take a center with their next pick they were looking at o-lineman um, like will hernandez and connor williams were not going to fall um, but if we take a look at how steve Kim has built this draft he wanted to basically get a receiver who could work with rosen to be able to grow along with him. You've got a guy who now is going to catch maybe 80 balls a year. He can play out of the slot. He can play uh, in there. And he's a guy who can separate too. Um, I, I, we'll have to see exactly with how the speed was, but I believe I'd heard from someone that um, Kirk had an ankle injury in which he played through in order to do at the combine where he still ran a 4-4-8, 4-4-7 speed. This is a guy who might be 4-4 flat or maybe even closer to 4-3 than if healthy, if that's the case. And he certainly looks like it on tape. He's running away from SEC cornerbacks. Uh, so that's one of those areas where I think there's not really a pick you can go wrong. The only other spot that I saw that was around there that I thought the Cardinals might have drafted went two picks before them in Josh Jackson, the tall, notable, lengthy playmaker out of Iowa. I think once Josh Jackson went off the board and you saw the Niners uh, moved up for Dante Pettis, uh, making Kirk the should have been probably the fourth receiver selected, but he ended up being the fifth. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see with Pettis because you've got two wide receivers who are young going along with their franchise quarterbacks with Pettis and with Kirk on either side in the NFC West. It'll be very interesting to see who kind of wins that battle. Cause I just remember the Amir Abdullah trade with the Detroit lions earlier and how yep. that worked out for them. So perhaps this is a guy who he's got as big a chip on his shoulder as Josh Rosen does. And he's going to grow along with him. He's going to be just that, uh, kind of a safety blanket and he perfectly fits Rosen's strengths, which is vertical and intermediate over the middle routes. Uh, that's going to be exactly who Christian Kirk is out of the slot. So I, it's a very exciting pick. 
Speaking of offensive linemen, it was really clear that the Cardinals needed to add to the offensive line. They did that with their third pick in the third round with Mason Cole. This is a pick that was left over from Calais Campbell. And he's a guy who I think might be a long-term center for them. I know we talked about how Harrison Phillips is a guy we were high on. He won a pick before. And on the board, there really was not good corner value. This is something that was interesting. The next corner who actually was taking was about some 10, 15 picks later in Nick Nelson. And Anthony Averett was another guy who I think we looked at out of Alabama, but he didn't really seem to fit their size profile. Mason Cole is a guy who is an Ironman since high school. He has not missed a practice since high school, which is when you're talking about having injury-prone linemen like uh, like DJ Humphreys has been, like Mike Upati last year, how Justin Pugh has missed time. This is a guy who's kind of seemed to go out and try to find the exact opposite. And there's no guarantee in the NFL level, but they found a guy who's much more athletic as far as on tape that you see than, um, than Evan Bame, who seems like he's a guy who probably is going to be in looking for a new team, uh, perhaps in camp if he's not able to stick. He's already been moved to guard. You see a guy who's athletic enough that he played left tackle for Michigan when they didn't have the ability to find a recruit a left tackle. They just moved him out there. He adapted, played fine at left tackle for them. Um, Steve Kimes said he believes he would have been drafted much higher if he had played at center for all four years. John, what do you think about this pick? Is this a guy who we're looking at as a developmental guy for a year? Is he a guy who will maybe eventually move to guard? Or is this a guy who's going to threaten AQ Shipley's spot in camp? You know, I don't think he's going to push for a starting job to begin with. Center is one of those positions that requires a lot of film study, you're, you're essentially the, the leader, the captain of the offensive line. And I think he's a tremendous prospect for where the Cardinals got him. I had him as a fringe second rounder, early third. So I think getting him at pick 97, uh, several picks before the third round was done, was a, a, was a major coup for Steve Kime. We talked about the run on interior offensive linemen. That was one of the stronger positions in this draft, the run that went on between about pick 20 to about pick 39. Uh, when you talk about Frank Ragno to James Daniels to Isaiah Wynn, um, the kid from Nevada, uh, Corbett Hernandez, it's a strong interior offensive line class. And when you, when you look at Mason Cole, back-to-back Big Ten, second team um, Big Ten uh, from 2016-2017, you know, he's only behind the likes of Billy Price and He's in that. That's probably the best group of interior linemen in the country, all hailing from the same conference, which is basically unheard of. Uh, but when you look at the consistent producers of elite offensive lines in the NFL, it comes from the Big Ten. And so I was excited about the Evan Bay move when it took place. I liked him pre draft for whatever reason. It hasn't worked out. I, I think that Mason has a lot going for him because he gets to start fresh with a coaching staff that I, I don't want to say handpicked him because Kime was obviously the, you know, the orchestrator of the Bain selection. But, you know, you, it, we've talked about it before, Blake, how important it is to try to pair a rookie center with your rookie quarterback and how those two are kind of kindred spirits now moving forward. Not to mention Cole is just much more of an athletic, physical specimen than an Evan Bain, than an A.Q. Shipley. Shipley is undersized at about 6'2", 6'2 Mason Cole is 6'5", 300 pounds, and he carries it well. He's not a sloppy 300 pounds. 
He's somebody that is going to be able to anchor the middle of your offensive line, presumably if they keep him at center. Um, and he is, Harold is probably one of the toughest players to ever play for Jim Harbaugh. He came in, I believe, with Harbaugh's first recruiting class. And like you mentioned, Blake, was a starter, rotational player as a freshman, as a true freshman, which is completely unheard of. To get in there and mix it up as an 18-year-old, you have got to be tough as hell to do that. And I think that really the, the tone of this draft was set with these first three picks that we need an offensive identity shift. We need to move toward a younger nucleus of players. And I think a, the luck factor, the do factor come, needs to come in with some of these time offensive line picks. He's had a lot that have been heralded on draft day. And for whatever reason, injuries, poor play, you know, whatever, the guys just haven't panned out. Jonathan Cooper, you know, I include Troy Nicholas in that group as a tight end on the offensive line. You know, several day three picks like Evan Bain, some of these guys that have gone later in the fifth, sixth, seventh round. They just haven't developed into anything more than adequate starters or solid backups. So hopefully Mason Cole bucks that trend and kind of able to kind of put some kind of a staple up front on the offensive line via the draft that he's only really been able to do at free agency. Michael Yupati was a free agent. Aikin Shipley was a free agent. Justin Pugh, obviously a free agent. Andre Smith, the only homegrown offensive talent is a left tackle you took in the first round that has played less than probably three, you know, a third of his NFL games you know, over that span due to injury. Uh, it's time for Steve to hit on some of these linemen. Now, the good news is, is that he's got his quarterback presumably in place and he can use a lot of these resources up front until he finds the right combination of the starting five, whether that's finding additional players, you know, next March in free agency or if he's able to roll the dice on some of these other guys in the draft. But the good news is, is that it's easier for whatever reason to hit on interior linemen and they're more productive than tackle, which is such a hard position to find. There are only so many six, 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 seven guys out there walking the street, but I like the pick. Um, I kept thinking to myself, well, Mason Cole's still available. I wonder why he hasn't been picked. And lo and behold, uh, we ended up drafting him with the 97th pick. So, um, couldn't have done better really for me in the first three rounds outside of maybe trading down and, and getting more picks. Yeah. And even then, I think when you're looking at the value of this, the guys who went after Christian Kirk, I, I, unless you're a really big Anthony Miller fan, I didn't really see as much of that value. And even with Evan Bame, the biggest thing you were looking at would have been a corner or probably like I, there, there wasn't really as much of that. Not Evan Bame, excuse me. <laughs> um, with Mason Cole, there was not really that much value that was there that I could see. And that was what was most interesting was the, uh, the fact that this is a guy who saw a lot of people are projected to be kind of a, uh, you know, a fourth round player who is probably going to end up being, you know, a, a guy for who's a starting center. A lot of times you can get starting centers. They're never a dominant center. Uh, but just some of the different upside, I think that you at least see with him is where I think that it might be that you could take that franchise quarterback, you take that center, you take a wide receiver that he'll get to grow along with and Christian Kirk. And speaking of that, uh, one thing I know we talked about a lot pre-draft was John Filippo potentially being the head coach of this team. He went and took a job with the Minnesota Vikings. Mike McCoy is this team's offensive coordinator. One thing we talked about as a potential negative to John Filippo was that if he was brought in as the offensive coordinator, 
he was probably going to be gone a year, maybe two later. This uh, Josh Rosen had three different offensive coordinators. He had a different OC each year that he was at UCLA. There was a lack of consistency. He had to learn a whole brand new offense each year. He did that, executed it well. Having him in the same scheme with a guy like McCoy, who's not going to get a head coach job next year, unless the Cardinals, for some reason, go on an incredible run, at least, which is, seems very unlikely. But at least for one to two, maybe three years, he'll have in the same system. Just to be able to have that consistency and development, and as we're talking about with a consistent center behind him. I think that that would give a whole lot of confidence, I think, at least to the young quarterback moving forward. Uh, Let's go and talk now uh, after a quick break, at least we'll go over the rest of the day three picks and we'll also take a quick look at the Cardinals previewing their schedule in 2018, as well as some of the other needs that still have to be filled. We'll be right back on the Bird Game. Hey, sports fans, football season's here and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Blitz. Back into the bird gang blitz, everyone. Uh, yeah, so we are going to talk about the Cardinals' fourth round pick now. Uh, they go in and draft a running back, Chase Edmonds, out of Fordham. Um, same school as John Skelton uh, with, uh, you know, it's not really a D- true Division One football team. They're a small school. Um, but they do draft a running back. I know we talked about this a lot, John. I was adamant that the Cardinals were going to draft a running back on day three. Uh, I, I think even some of the Nick Chubb talks show that they might have even taken one if the value was right on round two. I felt like it was going to be much better on round three. They take Chase Edmonds out of uh, Fordham. And just I want to get some of your reactions to this pick because I was a huge fan of this pick. I thought that they were going to originally try f- to get him in round five. The trade up for Josh Rosen means that they don't have a fifth round pick. This is a guy that they wanted to get onto their roster. Uh, what are your thoughts, at least when you had the heard the pick, John, that they would be going with a running back to basically back up David Johnson? Well, I think the concerns about what took place last year and David's um, absence are real based on the fact that they traded a six round pick for Adrian Peterson. They saw when David went down, what it did to their offense. And as much as it would have pained me to see Nick Chubb be a second round pick and he's a great player. Uh, and that was rumored to, to be in discussion. Um, I can understand where the Cardinals are coming from. And I'm, I'm glad they addressed it semi early because David's one of the top three or five running backs in the NFL and at his best, he may be the best, but at the same time, you can't have a major fall off at that position. Uh, even with a franchise quarterback now in the fold with Josh Rosen and expect to be successful. And what you get with Chase Edmonds is a young man who's an exceptional in between the tackle runner. Um, and you know, I heard people try to say that he was a little bit of a David Johnson clone. That's not the case really. I think the most he ever had receiving was about 380, 400 um, in 2012. But at the same time, 
uh, or not 2012, I think 2014, uh, whatever was his um, freshman year or sophomore year. Um, he is an in-between the tackle, hard-nosed runner that is exceptional on the goal line, had a very high average per carry in college, incredibly productive, rushed for over a thousand yards every season. But his final season last year, when he was injured um, and only played in, I believe, seven games. Um, but his attributes to me are somebody who can come in and spell David uh, for a series or two, can come in in the fourth quarter and give David, you know, an opportunity to get some rest on the sideline and, and potentially be that that goal line back that can close games out. He's a he's a mature young man at already 22 years old, um, and I think. This kind of rounds out the running back cores, maybe the strongest position, certainly in offense, maybe on the team. You've got an all pro in David Johnson. You've got now Chase Edmonds, who I think is going to work incredibly well. He's kind of like Kerwin Williams plus. He's got a little bit more power to his game. His lower body is exceptional. It's big. Um, I, he can break tackles pretty easily. And then you still don't forget to have TJ Logan, who is somebody I think that will really be that third down specialist in uh, David's absence that can catch the football out of the backfield. We, we saw what he could do in this brief time last year on special teams and, and chase can do a little bit of that as well. He can be a return man. So now you've got some options where thankfully you're not going to be trotting out Patrick Peterson. I would hope is your return man, but uh, another comparison, I, I think it was South Cox of revenge of the birds, our, um, our colleague, compared Edmonds a little bit. And there's an article to Dion Lewis, which I thought that was incredibly interesting. Uh, and I think he got that from, um, let's see who it was from. I believe it was from one of the, um, one of the draft analysts, the name's escaping me. Oh, um, Justin Hickdon. Um, now, yeah. So he, he compared it had, good numbers. Check that article out. If you could find it, I read that, uh, earlier today. Um, the Cardinals would be very blessed to get that. Um, you know, Edmonds didn't play the same caliber of competition that Deion Lewis did, but at the same time, he's somebody I think that is going to contribute year one. Absolutely. Running back is one of the easiest positions to get, you know, uh, acclimated on as a rookie. And it was a pretty deep running back class and to be able to have to give up a fourth round pick, when you have needs to corner, when you have needs to safety, offensive line, potentially defensive tackle, they they thought, Blake, I'm sure you can attest to this. They thought highly of this young man. Um, again, burst, runs with good bend. He's got great hips. Again, he's got really thick calves and thighs, uh, and he's going to be able to push the pile. And because he's only five nine, he can hide behind some of the bigger offensive linemen where David can't. I think his 40 was right around four five on his better days. He might be under four five. He's just going to be, I think a really, I think he's going to be everything that they had hoped Stefan Taylor would be uh, a lot of tread on the tires, but somebody I think is going to make an impact this year. Definitely. Yeah. The crazy thing about him. And this is another thing I, th- I think that we had to do was he was for the guys who are small school scouts. They have been raving about this kid, not just the maturity and the personality, but just because of the fact that he produced and dominated at the, uh, at that smaller level. This is the guy who, when you look at him, he comes in as a freshman uh, to Fordham and he runs for 1800 yards in his first year. <laughs> he's 23 wow. touchdowns then he catches the ball he has about almost a thousand yards of receiving 
And the fact is that as a receiver, he went to his pro day and he did the entire pro day lined up in the slot. He did not practice as a running back. He basically went, I want to show you guys that I can be a slot receiver. I can be just as good a receiver as I am a running back. And that's where the comp that a lot of people have given him was kind of a, very similar to a Matt Forte where you look at him as being, and this is, this is where the NFL is going, is getting these dynamic um, running backs. Um, one of the guys who's been one of my favorite scouts each year that's gone over all of this is Emery Hunt uh, at Football Game Plan. You can find him and then Justin's at, at AFC to NFC as well. Um, he basically says that he's been more extremely consistent. He said that he got better every year at the Rams. He actually believes he's got more wiggle than David Johnson and has a lot of the receiving and rushing ability too. He's a bit more of a natural runner. And in this case, I actually kind of agree with him because the statistics that we take a look at with him is that at the combine, he ended up putting up a not good, not great, but elite category in the um, the shuttle and the short cone, I believe. I'm looking up just to pull up the listing that we had right now. Um, yeah, it was the agility drills that we had and the Sheldon short run. He was the number one running back that we had as far as for out of all the other running backs that we had, the best short shuttle and three cone. And if you're talking about what stats are important for running backs, the short cuddle and three cone are two of the best indicators of success in the National Football League. Kareem Hunt last year was a rookie of the year um, type runner that they had, and he crushed it in the three cone and the short shuttle. So I think the fact that the Cardinals were able to get a guy with that dynamic athleticism, he's not going to be a 4-4 speed guy like David Johnson. Um, he's not going to be a 4-3 maybe on a, on a good day, like looking at the low 4-3s guy like you're going to see with TJ Logan. But I think between the three of them, you're going to get guys who can all catch the football out of the backfield. You're getting guys who can – you can take them off the field and not have to change a playbook around. The Cardinals had to completely reinvent their offense when they took David Johnson out and put Kerwin Williams in. Uh, I think you're getting a guy who's going to be uh, kind of a cross between Kerwin Williams and David Johnson – and the Cardinals really, they've, they have not had that type of running back. I, I can at least think of ever. They've either always had the smaller back, like a LaRod Stevens howling. Uh, they had an old aging edger in James. This is a guy who's going to compliment David Johnson and is incredibly athletic. And I think that it's a very successful pick. Um, maybe if you had that fifth round pick still, you would have seen him fall there, but I'm just glad that the Cardinals had them on board. And if Steve Wilkes wants to run the football, if Mike McCoy wants to run the football, this is the guy who can spell David Johnson, keep him healthy at least if the Cardinals do end up in 2020-2021 want to try to make a playoff run and I think it also gives them in case for some reason if they aren't able to bring David Johnson back you're not going to be completely um, you know left alone and I personally don't believe for a second that the the team isn't going to sign him to an extension um, sometime within the next few weeks at least while Le'Veon Bell has been franchise tag and the market's been set Uh, with no pick in the fifth round let's move on ahead to the Cardinals sixth round selection Christian or Chris Campbell this guy is a a six-foot-tall athletic cornerback. Uh, he actually posted, I believe, the uh, math bomb that has his uh, RAS's raw athletic score. And Campbell was one of the elite performers that he had there. This is a guy who had a 41-inch vertical jump. He's a long-arm corner. If you look at his arms, a lot of the passes he breaks up, he just stick out his paw and knock the ball down. He can play close, like close to guys. Didn't start until later at uh, the college that he came from, which um, I'm pulling up like, the NFL on him right now, right now which is Penn State, um, a big-time college program. But he was a solid-down player for them. A lot of passing defense. Still showed some good ball skills. Um, if you think about just pick John, is this kind of – we're talking about sixth round. You look at guys like Justin Dunstall, who was drafted here, Andre Ellington drafted here. Is this kind of, this kind of the next team kind of steal on the sixth round? Is he going to be able to see Tanner or the Cardinals? 
I think this is a pick that was based on potential, what you can develop, hopefully uh, maybe get, if you're lucky, uh, a poor man's Josh Norman for Steve Wilkes, not in comparison to the player because they're not very similar, but in the sense that when you hired a defensive minded head coach that specialty with working with probably um, overlooked players at cornerback in the secondary at safety. And so when you look at this young man, he's got all the length you want. He's got the assets and the measurables on tape. Uh, Didn't start until his senior year was incredibly productive for a very good Penn state defense. And so he's going to be immediately thrown into the mix with Brandon Williams. And then I would presume the team is going to look heavily in the free agent corner market. Now that the, the draft is older over in the dust is settled. I still think they'd rather go with one of their guys in house, but we've again, Blake, you talked about it. The Steve Kime special come late June, early July, maybe even the start of training camp. Maybe you could see them reach out to Dominic Rogers, Cromartie, former first round pick of the Arizona Cardinals, Get him on that one-year prove-it deal like Antonio Cromartie, like John Abraham. But I think they want to see what they have first in some of these guys uh, when they can work them out you know, privately at some you know, team activities leading up to training camp. Because presumably, if you're able to hit, let's say, on this young man in the sixth round opposite Patrick Peterson, you're not going to pay him, very similar to Josh Rosen, for a good amount of time, minimum three years. And so we've seen these day two, day three corners come in and have a fair amount of success depending on the situation. Guys are overlooked for a lot of reasons. This, this could just simply be a case that this young man was a late bloomer, gone through, I think, a couple different defensive coordinators at Penn State. And you think about the fact that he has a lot of the same attributes as Brandon Williams had, and I saw a comparison. But for whatever reason, Brandon Williams has not been able to exceed expectations or even meet them at the NFL level, really based on technique. That was one of the biggest fallouts that we saw with the Cardinals old regime defensively. They just weren't able to get anything out of him. And we saw the Cardinals go and look outside the organization for the likes of Tremont Williams, among other players, Marcus Cooper, the year before it's time for the Cardinals to at least get a, a, some kind of contribution from some of these corners that they've developed because they can't continue to be liabilities on game day. I think this is somebody who's going to get every opportunity to prove themselves either on special teams or on nickel packages. And let's face it in today's NFL in today's college game, you're going to need at minimum four to five corners who can play. And the Cardinals play a lot of press man. I've seen this young man play press man before he doesn't have the greatest ball skills in the world, but at the same time has that makeup speed and can blanket receivers, quality receivers in the Big Ten. That's a that's a competitive conference with real pros in it. Um, I I'm anxious to see him in the preseason, but at the same time, I think you could bet a fair amount that the Cardinals, that Steve Kahn will add at least one, if not two, veteran free agent corners into the mix. That's a position I think they're going to flood post draft. 
Yeah, and again, it's going back to just when you're talking about and the late rounds, I think when you look at some of the mistakes that Kime has made in the past, some of that has been that he's tried to draft um, solid football players. And then in a lot of those rounds, you really are kind of having to um, recognize that you're you're taking flyers on guys. This is a guy who didn't start until later. But when you're talking about that athletic profile he has, um, what's interesting about him is if you look at the top players who were selected this year, you look at their wingspan and you look at their um, their arm length. You know, Micah Fitzpatrick, 31 and a quarter inch arms. Denzel Ward, 31 and a quarter inch arms. Mike Hughes, eight and three quarter inch arms. You take a look at what it happened. You take a look at the arm length that you have with this young man. Uh, goes by Chris. He has 33 and a half inch arms. That's longer than any other corner that was selected in this entire draft by at least a full inch. The only exception being Isaiah Oliver out of Colorado, who is a player that it's I would freakish. It's, it's freakish. And when you watch him on film, he's the guy who'll just stick out the paw and knock the ball down because he can keep up with those guys. Uh, his wingspan, the only player with a longer wingspan this year is uh, Oliver. And that's something where if you're taking that guy in the sixth round or you're taking a flyer on it, you take a look at the history of Steve Wilkes. This is the guy who took Josh Norman, a guy who was a fifth-round pick, a guy who had all sorts of questions, at least not just about off-field, but just questions about his athleticism, sticking to guys. He drafted him, he developed him, and Josh Norman goes on to become at one point like the highest-paid corner basically in the league and has made now, I believe, multiple Pro Bowls. So you're talking about this is a guy who, if you're going to give Steve Wilkes the raw tools and he can take that and turn it into something, he's taken undrafted free agent guys before. Uh, and James, like I believe it was like James Burberry, um, just, just guys with the Panthers, and he made them into studs. So uh, I know that this is, we'll wrap this up at least here um, before talking about the Cardinals' final pick, but just wanted to leave these comments from uh, Eric Galco, who is one of the um, top guys who's covered the. Uh, covered at least the team and a lot of his small school guys, but he called this an awesome pick for the Cardinals said they did want to add a cornerback earlier, but didn't have value. So that he graded out Campbell as a third round value there in the six. And he does believe that he could be a 2019 starter opposite Patrick Peterson. So not 2018 starting this season, but if you're talking about a guy in the sixth round who could end up being a starter, uh, I I think that would be tremendous uh, value for the Cardinals here. Absolutely. All right. Hey, so our, let's move on to our final pick that we had from the Arizona Cardinals, one of the last picks of the draft. And that would be Corey Cunningham, the offensive tackle out of Cincinnati. And this is also, when you're talking about freak athletes, this guy might be the freakiest as far as for its athlete I've ever seen. Uh, this guy at his pro day was probably sensational. He ran a 4.8, I believe it was like a 4.85 40-yard dash, which is actually faster than Josh Rosen ran in the NFL, I believe, the NFL Combine. And he had a 35-and-a-half-inch jump. When you're talking about that, you're like, that's really athletic. When you're talking about doing that at 317 pounds, that's like one of the best offensive lineman scores that you've seen as far as for um, just athleticism. Uh, he was originally ranked as a tight end coming out of high school. He played basketball in college. This is just a total upside pick. At least he played and did start for the team this year. John, what, what are your thoughts about Cunningham? Is this a guy who Ray, we know that Ray Brown said that he wanted to get him drafted, wanted to bring him in. Is this a guy who's kind of just hedging their bet on DJ Humphreys at left tackle? Is this a guy maybe you think they could develop? Is this a guy who could maybe play right tackle after Andre Smith next year? Or is this going to be just a guy you bring in as a flyer athletic, see if he has any thing there's so much that you could happen at least when you're talking about being one of the last picks in the draft what were your thoughts about cutting him i think it, it's 
it's very similar to Mason Cole on a lesser extent. He can play either tackle spot. Uh, and I think he's been able to see time at guard as well. I think best case scenario, obviously best case scenario is a future starter, but realistically I could see him being the Cardinals swing tackle as early as 2018 based on his athleticism. A lot of it depends on do these guys show up ready for the grind of the NFL? Do they show up in, in shape? We saw Chad Williams a year ago, not show up in shape in camp and it cost him a lot of his rookie season, if not all of it. And do they have the mental capacity to take in the playbook? Um, but I think he could stick with the team. Uh, he's got probably some practice squad eligibility, obviously being a new draft pick. Of course he does. But at the same time, um, his athleticism is, is too good to, to pass up. I think that there were several tackles that I had graded significantly higher that fell for whatever reason. Um, you know, Cunningham was a name I thought would go day three, but much earlier. I, I, I believe his name is Terrell Crosby, the, the offensive tackle from the University of Oregon, who a lot of people had as a top 50 player fall, I believe, to the sixth round of the Detroit Lions. It was a long um, fall for him, yeah. It was a long time. And, you know, they, they run a very similar offense to what you know, a lot of NFL teams are running now with that spread, no huddle. I thought he would have been a good choice as a developmental pick you saw, I think for the first time in a long time, the teams prioritized and rightfully so are, are beginning to prioritize the interior offensive line in the same, you know, kind of realm as, as an offensive tackle. And so it pushed a lot of these quality offensive tackle prospects down into the latter half, you know, of the draft on day three. And so, yeah, I think he's somebody that really at the end of the day is going to get an opportunity at to see time at that right tackle position in, in the preseason because that position is so wide open. You know, I was surprised that they traded Jared Vildier, honestly, because I thought he played better as last year, you know, in 28, 2017, as the year went on, he had really brutal games to start the year, but again, progressed well to the point where I thought they needed to keep him more than Ayupati. Ayupati hasn't been healthy in two years, but they traded him to, to, to Denver. He's Denver starting right tackle right now. Uh, and they went with Andre Smith, who by all accounts is is a jag. He's just a guy at this point in his career. I think he was the third tackle in Cincinnati. So that's another position, again, I could see them addressing. Certainly a position, I think, moving forward. Cross your fingers, assuming DJ Humphreys is the answer at left tackle, that they're going to hopefully going to continue trying out veterans and, and rookies alike. Um, but I like this guy's ability. And, man, it has been a long time since the Cardinals have hit on not even the day three offensive lineman, but just in general, an offensive lineman that can come in and produce and get a nice contract either from the Cardinals or from somebody else. I think the last one that you would really have to consider a success as crazy as it sounds is Bobby Massey. Bobby Massey played pretty well on those Arians teams after, you know, Ken Wisenhout was let go. Um, they basically threw him trial by fire. He was a fourth round pick. Uh, played right tackle was horrific. His rookie year was sat in 2013 by Arians came in and played well on um, this 2014, 2015 teams. Um, and what ended up happening is he got a nice free agent contract from the Chicago bears. That's really the last tackle that I think the Cardinals have drafted and semi-developed. And I'd like to see this young man get some playing time this year. Um, I think Will Holden is somebody that they're going to be looking for a big step from, you know, last year to this year. 
I think he's put on some weight. He's gotten stronger. Uh, I'm anxious to see if any of these guys can stick because if you can hit on one, that's a big coup for your organization because you don't obviously have to use those premium draft picks in the early rounds on tackle like so many teams are forced to do. So we'll see if Corey has that same power. It definitely, yeah. Holden was this very athletic tackle they had last year. He even actually saw time at guard. Um, it, it's it's going to be interesting because this is a two-year plan. I do think that what you might see is guys like Cunningham, Holden get chances. They did at least um, add DJ Humphreys. They did give him that fifth-year option. So that's something that I think is at least notable is that even despite the time missed, we have seen that when Humphreys is on the field, he is a solid, potentially even top 15 left tackle it's his natural position and he does offer quite a bit in the run game the cardinals have just not had stability on the line um so i think that'll be interesting to see with next year is if Yupati either gets hurt or goes down again or they see in camp is this an area where maybe cunningham does move inside to guard is this a guy where you meant to maybe look at holden as your left guard of the future cunningham as a right tackle of the future and whichever guy doesn't work out that's who you go and pay once you have the 2019 offseason and free agency to go and take a look at but either way i'm excited that they at least took um flyers on guys who are there um there's not really as many notable players at least that i think you can look at as undrafted free agents um one that i at least know is interesting with fans is the um just a fullback position uh they did go ahead and get a fullback out of wisconsin uh i'm pulling up his name here right now but that's what that was interesting was looking at the schematic issues when you, you think the cardinals haven't had a fullback for years they bring in mike mccoy this is i think going to be a power run scheme that you're looking at where a wisconsin running back is going to definitely be a great fit there it's austin ramesh is the guy not going to be an elite one you're not looking at a, a uh, dimitri flowers type he went to new york and then the other one at least that i was um really tipped off to at least that someone said would be probably a uh interesting player at least just to watch was the the um safety here i'm pulling up a name real quick here to do, do, do uh i'm not saying oh i think it was it tavir thomas i believe is the one who it was um but yeah it was someone who they had been originally a player at um fresno state and just seeing the the fact of how when he watched some of the highlights in the film at least on him he was a guy who reminded me a lot of Dayon Buchanan. When you start talking about looking at Dayon Buchanan highlights coming out, um, because he was a guy who was a big hitter, a hard, heavy hitter, and he just always seemed to be around the ball and made plays. So maybe well, the Cardinals can get another guy like a Tony Jefferson if you luck out with this undrafted class. Uh, and I think that would be really interesting, at least if the Cardinals are able to uh, land one of those guys. And they've got some other holes as well, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Uh, yeah, when we come back here on the Bird Gang Blitz, we'll have our last part of the show. We'll wrap it up with um, just a quick look at some of the other potential positions of need that are still there for the Cardinals. And then we'll go over a little bit of uh, just their NFL schedule before we wrap it up for tonight. Don't go anywhere. Uh, there, and welcome back to the Bird Gang Blitz. And we got our last part of the show coming up here. And John, let's talk just about some of the needs that are still on the Cardinals. What are the needs that you think that they need to address um, with free agency, with some of the cap space that they have um, before we can go into the 2018 NFL season? I think we talked about it. I think corner is a position that they're going to look at. I mentioned Dominique Rogers Cromartie earlier. I think that it would be wise for them to at least give him a call and see what his mind is right now because he could be somebody in his career that is 
excuse me, to compete for a championship. And obviously he has a relationship with Larry Fitzgerald is a relationship with the Valley, but the Cardinals right now are not a championship caliber team. How much, how important is winning to him? How important is getting his money? Um, so he is somebody I think they should definitely look at based on familiarity. Uh, I think that the defensive tackle position is always going to be something until you find that guy, that elite player, um, I think they're always going to churn out that position. Uh, Olson Pierre had a nice year last year. Robert Kim is going to have a clean slate with this new coaching staff, but that's a position that's in my opinion, far from set on the offensive side. I, I think BPA on the offensive line, if you're able to go out and try to find somebody to compete with the likes of Andre Smith with maybe pushing AQ Shipley or, or Mike Ayupati, I think you do that. Uh, and then also at the receiver position, I think that, you know, we forget about the Bryce Butler addition, which is a nice little signing. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald, obviously, is year to year. Chad Williams, you, you really don't know what you have. And then um, you get Christian Kirk in the draft. I think that's a position that you could absolutely absolutely look at somebody. At. You're not going to go out. You're not going to sign the likes of Des Bryant. But if there's somebody who is has a little bit of name recognition that's cut for whatever reason during camp, um, depending on what the Cardinals need, they really right now don't have um, that signature deep threat outside of JJ Nelson on the roster. So uh, will JJ even make it through camp at this point? He had a down season after having a really nice 2016 um, year. And then lastly, you know, the tight end position for the Cardinals outside of Ricky Sears Jones is completely non-existent. They've tried to flood the position with a bunch of no name guys on one year contracts, a couple former Carolina Panthers, their names escape me, but that's a position I think right now that is in dire need of, of some kind of experience. Um, and the fact that you're, you're paying your big ticket tight end, Jermaine Gresham, uh, you know, upwards of, I, I don't even know, is it 12 million, 10 million? I don't, something ridiculous, um, to sit on the shelf this year, which is unfortunate with an Achilles. Uh, that's a position that needs the biggest upgrade in my opinion on offense. Now I understand why they didn't use their precious resources within the draft. They, just can't fill all your needs at the end of the day some fans just don't understand that the draft for a lot of teams is just getting players that fit needs but at the same time trying to find the best players in general and depending on who you are you're not going to be able to fill all your needs in free agency in the draft you're just going to do your best with what you have which i think is what steve kime did beautifully especially when you consider moving up from 15 to 10 for josh rosen only costs him you know a late day two pick and you know a mid pick day day three um the cardinals to me are a team that if things break well and we'll talk about the schedule in a second they could be a fringe playoff team but at the same time 2018 is about developing the young players that you have uh and then of course sprinkling in you know the right veterans here and there to lead this team very similar to 2013 that was a young team considering that outside of, you know, Carson Palmer and Larry Fitzgerald, you were trying to get the likes of Tyron Matthew and Patrick Peterson building their confidence, bringing in John Brown the next year. It's time to find the next young nucleus of Cardinal players and the right veterans to, to lead them as well. I totally agree, John. Just off the uh, top of my head, I, I, I think that this is a, cl- uh, a class where some of those needs won't really be addressed until you get to 2019. Um, perhaps you have young guys like Ricky Seals-Jones. The Cardinals are betting very heavily on him. Uh, they also seem to be betting pretty heavily on Chad Williams. Um, J.J. Nelson seems to be that they 
he is still going to be with the team, but perhaps not in the same role. At least it's a new head coach, a new different player. Same with Chad Williams. But I think you're starting to take a look if you're going to end up previewing 2019. You're really going to be looking at whether it's continuing to build on the offense, the offensive line. I think that they could go defense heavy next year. You've got a year left, at least with Robert Kimdichie, and this is kind of the year he has to really step up. He's in a more favorable spot. Dan Buchanan is going to be a free agent after this year. Um, that's a huge question mark, especially also when you take a look at the fact that Josh Bynes is the guy who right now seems to be playing the Mike linebacker for them in the middle of the field. They may end up going into next year's draft needing two starting linebackers potentially. And you'd also take a look at not just with wide receiver, um, maybe Larry Fitzgerald does play for another two years, potentially, if you end up looking at if he likes Rosen, if he stays healthy. But for sure, at least we know that this year he's going to give his um, the best shot he has. And then, um, as we talked about with tight end, so I think that there's still some of these holes you might be able to see a time time sign as far as with cornerback. But some of these are ones that you might not end up having it where you address it until next year where you're able to get that all pulled together. But I, I do like the way that this team is. It's a young team. You've got dynamic player in Buda Baker. The secondary of Hassan Reddick can end up playing consistently and have a breakout year. You really like the direction where this team is going. Uh, let's talk a little bit now just with the fact that you've got, uh, we've got a couple months left at least. Uh, we've got some OTAs and some other news. Some other players will be signed, the undrafted free agents. But really the next bit of news that we're going to have is when training camp hits. And I think it's going to be the most amount of buzz that you've had in a training camp since the 2015 Cardinal season. When you had David Johnson in camp, you had the Cardinals coming off of a huge season, Carson Palmer coming back healthy. 2016, you had Chandler Jones after the disappointment, so that was a huge year. I think this year is going to be such a huge year because of the Josh Rosen storyline, because he'll be throwing to Christian Kirk. Um, and that'll lead into some of these preseason games that we have with, uh, of course, preseason doesn't really matter, but I think it's interesting where you're looking at the Chargers, Cardinals, Saints, Cowboys, and Broncos. This is going to be the Josh Rosen games. We'll actually get to see Rosen on the field for the first time. This may be the areas where if he's going to pass up a Mike Glennon, he would show it. And you start off the season with a very favorable first game and almost as maybe not as unfavorable as possible in the second game where you start off at home against the Washington Redskins as an afternoon game and then have another afternoon game the following week in Los Angeles on the road against the Los Angeles Rams and Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald followed up by another home game against the Bears and an early season game on the, at home against the Seahawks. John, let's let's break down a little bit of the first four games of the season. Do you think that this is uh, seems to be a favorable start for the Cardinals outside of the Week Two Rams game? What are your thoughts about the first part of the schedule? Well, you're going to want to jump out to a fast start. We'll touch on it in a second. The second half of the Cardinals schedule is is about as brutal as I've ever seen. Um, and so you look at Washington, they came into your building last year and beat you. Uh, that's a, that's a payback game. Even if the coaching staff and potentially the quarterback is different, uh, you got embarrassed in, against Los Angeles. The both times you played them specifically, the London game was an absolute embarrassment. Chicago bears are, are one of probably the trendiest teams in the NFL right now. They had an exceptional draft Very good uh, draft. and they're going to be a team. Yep. They're going to be a team. I think that a lot of people are going to be trendy to, to win a wild card spot. And then of course the Seahawks are always a tough matchup, especially when you consider the Cardinals. I don't believe have beaten the Seattle Seahawks in Arizona since 2012. That was Russell Wilson's rookie year. And that was his first game in the NFL. So right off the bat, I think if you're, if you're trying to stay afloat, trying to get around that 500 spot or, or a game or two better, you need to win three out of four of those games. You need to win probably 
75% of your home games uh, throughout the entire schedule, but you, you got to come out at least two and two, if not three and one to have a shot. Yeah, I think three and one, but when you look at and talk about how brutal the schedule gets, I think three and one is a better, more um, realistic one. I think two and two may be what this team actually is able to pull off in this year. And a lot of it will just depend on what kind of Sam Bradford that you get. But I think at the home game against the Skins, you've got Alex Smith against and the Cardinals at least have, whenever they've played Alex Smith with the Niners in the past, they always seem to struggle with his mobility, just being able to bring him down. It'll be very interesting um, with how that team has been kind of constructed and built around him now. Um, and then the Rams game, I think the biggest thing, of course, if this whole thing is it depends on who's starting. Is it Sam Bradford who's starting? Is he healthy enough to start? Are you putting Mike Glennon out there because Bradford isn't able to go? I, I do think the Cardinals are going to be cautious enough with Bradford that he is going to be able to start the first two games. Uh, it's going to be difficult to know what happens with the line and everything, but I do at least foresee that the Cardinals have a chance to go two and two here, and I'm going to at least call kind of a shot here. I, I do think that this is a year where the Cardinals could actually beat the Seahawks at home. They've always played the Seahawks hard. The crazy thing is that the Cardinals are four and one since Russell Wilson went up and joined the Seattle Seahawks since in 2012. And the rest of the league in that time has six wins. So you're talking about 30 other NFL franchises having six wins in CenturyLink's field. And the Cardinals just go up there and they know how to handle Russell Wilson. They put up some of their best games that we've ever seen. Bruce Arians got his 50th win to pass Ken Wisenhunt. Um, so it's a little bit of luck, you know, the, the Seahawks ended up having a missed field goal at the end of that game, but it just feels like they go up there and they just dominate and they sack Russell Wilson repeatedly. So if, if you can still see that team this year, if Marcus Golden gets back to form, I do think that this may be the year that the Cardinals could pull off a motivated win just because the Seahawks right now are, they're just in a crazy place. If you take a look at outside of Dwayne Brown, the tackle who they traded, I believe uh, they traded a pick for him. They're not having Sheldon Richardson, we're having to go with the uh, guys who are like, you know, the Ethan Posick at their left guard. And they have Rashad Penny is now their number one running back there. He's still a rookie. There's still maybe mistakes. We know David Johnson had a few fumbles earlier. Um, but this is just, it's interesting because the team is kind of hanging on a thread where you, you know that Earl Thomas is probably back. The Cowboys haven't made any moves for him. Cam Chancellor may never play again. Cliff Averill may never play again. Um, you know for sure that Malik McDowell probably isn't going to play for the team. They think that his career might be over. And they took a running back in the first round, and it wasn't even a value for that pick for the running backs. This is just a team where I just feels like the Seahawks, at least, are kind of blowing up in your face. I don't know if that means they'll be the number four team in the NFC West. I would be inclined to doubt it. But uh, and they, they did add a guy like Shaquille Griffin to go along with uh, Shaquille Griffin to go along with his brother. He's a guy who's a playmaker even with the one arm. But I just feel like this is a team that's kind of reached that spot where it's similar to if you think of the Atlanta Falcons before they had their Kyle Shanahan burst, where they had an early start with a young quarterback. They got the big deal was signed, and it just kind of felt like that a lot of the talent stopped coming in, and it took a big change for them to make to kind of get that there. As long as Schneider and Pete Carroll, I, I think that this may be a game that the Cardinals could win. Uh, moving on, looking at the next four games that they have, they have kind of a brutal stretch where they go up against the at, on the road against the 49ers. They're on the road against the dominant Minnesota Vikings. They get their home game and their only nationally televised game. And this tells you at least a lot about when they were designing the schedule. They really did not believe in Sam Bradford at all as a quarterback. This The Thursday night game, their only nationally televised game at home against the Denver Broncos. Uh, the Broncos are actually coming off, I believe, a short week there as well. So the Cardinals actually will have an advantage of being able to um, stay home for that one, have the home game. The Broncos are having to kind of come off of it at a 
really, really rough game the week before. And then they have another game against the San Francisco 49ers, both of those games in the middle of the year before the week nine bye. Um, I thought the bye was in a solid place this year. I was expecting an early bye for this team just because I felt that the disrespect was going to come. I think this is a perfectly timed opportunity. They kind of get a mini bye before they play the Niners, a division rival who they'll probably be competing with if they do want to make any type of push to the playoffs. I'm not sure if Bradford's good enough for that, but I was curious. What do you think of the stretch of the season, John? You've got two games against Jimmy Garoppolo, a game against the NFC Championship game last year in the Vikings, who now have perhaps even a better quarterback in Kirk Cousins, and then the quarterback he replaced in Case Keenum with the Broncos. Yeah, I'll do like a semi-mini rant comparable to your Seahawk rant regarding the San Francisco 49ers. That's still, (laughs) to me, a very underwhelming roster, and I think that they're not going to catch anybody by surprise. Now people have filmed teams have filmed on Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm a fan of his, you know, but at the same time, that team to me, I think is probably along with the bears going to be two of the most overhyped teams going into next year. Um, I didn't like the big money contract that they gave to McKinnon um, from the Minnesota Vikings. He's very underwhelming for his career. I think his career yards per carry something like 3.2. Hyde, to me, is a better back. I think there were better backs available in this draft. The receiving core, Marquise Goodwin, I think, overachieved last year. Pierre Garçon is 32. They didn't really address it. They they overdrafted Dante Pettis this year out of the University of Washington. I'm not overly high on him. And then just defensively, you know, are they going to let Ruben Foster play football this year? And if he doesn't play, that linebacking core is probably one of the worst in the NFL. Uh, their defensive line, Solomon Thomas, was pretty underwhelming last year. Everybody wants to talk about, you know, Reddick and his non-impact. Solomon Thomas was essentially a non-factor last year. Um, they, uh, Buckner is a nice player. They have no edge rushers. Uh, their secondary lost Eric Reed. They haven't replaced him uh, in the draft or free agency. Their corners are solid. Um, this is a team to me, I think, that could regress to the point where they're, you know, I know that everybody just assumes that they're going to win nine, 10, 11 games. They had one win before they traded for Garoppolo. They won four or five in a row and several games that they won is specifically the final game that they won. Or it was against a Rams team that sat all their stars. So to me, I think that uh, the Cardinals at least split with this, with the Niners. I think they win the game. Absolutely. In Arizona, that team to me right now is being overvalued. And I think, Really, the the class of the division is the L.A. Rams, and it's just kind of a, a crapshoot for that for that second spot to, to the number four spot. Russell Wilson is clearly the, the best quarterback in the division, but that again, like you said, that roster is in, in complete turmoil. Turmoil. Pete Carroll, you you could argue, is in his last year of his of his um, you know coaching career, similar to USC, where he kind of abandoned ship. You wonder if he's going to do that with with Seattle. Uh, specifically when you're talking about nationally televised games in the Arizona Cardinals and the fact that they have only won this year. Anybody who watched this team a year ago saw what they had on paper from an offensive standpoint in 2018 because it is an offensive league and that's what you know draws people to their television screens. The Cardinals were not in a, a you know enticing proposition for these networks. They weren't an enticing proposition for the league to want to put them on television, unlike 2016, following their high-flying year of 2015, they were on national TV, I think, a record five or six times. So Josh Rosen plays well this year, like Deshaun Watson did a year ago. If he plays well, lights it up, and he's one of the hottest young quarterbacks moving into 2019. Even if the Cardinals win five, six games this year, 
they're going to be on national TV a fair amount. That's just, that's just how it works. And like you said, Blake, they had no confidence, nor should they have any in Sam Bradford. And think about it. Let's say the Cardinals were on, you know, Sunday night football against the Oakland Raiders or the LA chargers late in the year in November. And they're starting Kyle Lalette at quarterback. And he's just a complete absolute dumpster fire of a player. And it's just an embarrassing game. And the Cardinals lose by something, the effect of 28, nothing very similar to what happened with the, with the, um, with the Buffalo bills and Nathan Peterman a year ago when they tried to get cute and inserted, you know, a rookie who had no business starting. Um, and he, I believe through like seven picks. I mean, those are the kind of games that the NFL wants to avoid. And that's why they schedule the big names in those spots. And so until the Cardinals prove that they have, you know, drawing power with a lot of these networks in the NFL in general, they're not going to get nationally televised games. And it kind of, if you look at how the schedule works out, it seems to just come around to two things. Either you have division rivals, even an, even a uh, Skins uh, Cowboys game ends, ends up oftentimes getting like a primetime game just because of the huge markets and just the kind of long-term value. But uh, I think it was really interesting seeing how the Rams got six uh, network games, the Seahawks got five, the Niners with Garoppolo, like you're saying, got five games. And perhaps that's just some of the recency bias with Garoppolo kind of going undefeated, winning the last five games as a Niners starter, which incidentally, I, I think when I even thought about this was um, the fact that the San Francisco 49ers in a way may have actually assisted the Arizona Cardinals in getting their franchise quarterback because they won enough games to move out from a top three pick that they would have been getting, which they probably would have traded down from for another team looking to move up, you would have think at least. Um, like the Bills might have moved into that spot as the Niners went down for more picks. They lost Trent Brown uh, to the Patriots. He had some issues at least with working out. And they won a coin flip in which they took Mike McGlinchey, the players the Raiders wanted. Raiders didn't get the guy they wanted. They trade down with the Cardinals. So now you've got four very young franchise quarterbacks in the division. I think that maybe if Rosen starts sooner and starts lighting it up, maybe you end up starting to see kind of similar to the Dak Prescott where things change and shift. Maybe the Cardinals do get a game or two. But again, I think that it's going to be more based around 2019 versus 2018 for those televised games. Uh, I think that they'll have to show up and show off well in those televised games because last few years they have kind of fizzled out after a strong start with Bruce Arians where last year they had a strong start to the game against the Cowboys and it all went downhill after that. Uh, the next portion kind of starts the brutal end for the Cardinals. They play the AFC East, uh, actually the AFC West, I should say, with a game at the Chiefs, home against the Raiders. Raiders under Gruden are going to be interesting to see if they're able to improve. I have a feeling the Cardinals may still be able to win that game at the Chargers and then at the Green Bay Packers. Now, if Josh Rosen's starting by then, the Rodgers-Rosen narrative might be a lot of attention for the game. But overall, this is just a brutal road sketch for the Cardinals before Thanksgiving with only one home game in between. What, what do you think about this area, John? Is this an area where the Cardinals can still compete with their defense against some of these top core quarterbacks and potentially a uh, Mahomes Rosen duel as far as the guy that the Cardinals looked at potentially getting last year versus the guy that they actually got if Bradford ends up hurt by that time. Pros in the know start with Lowe's because at Lowe's pros save big on the supplies they use most. Right now, save even more on select concrete mix. Now 30% off when you buy in bulk. Plus, save 5% on eligible purchases every day when you use your Lowe's business credit account. Stop by or visit Lowe'sforpros.com for details. So, pro, now that you know, start with Lowe's. Minimum purchase required. Selection varies by location. Credit offer subject to credit approval. Can't be combined with other credit offers. Exclusions apply U.S. only. All right. 
it's one of the most brutal stretches I've seen for an NFL team to have to go through Kansas city, Detroit, Atlanta, at Atlanta, at Seattle, those games are hard enough if they're played at home at green Bay. I mean, you've got out of potentially one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight games. You've got six, uh, five of them on the road. And of those road games, I don't believe the Cardinals have won at Atlanta at Kansas city at green Bay, um, in at least two or three decades. Um, at Seattle, you talk about that was a Bruce Arians kind of rallying cry. You know, you don't have Bruce Arians to, to tout against the Seahawks anymore. You'd like to think that success continues, but at the same time, you know, nothing's for sure. And especially if either one of the teams have anything to play for at that point, um, the Cardinals to me need to try and get to five wins before the first buy. And then you're able to kind of roll the dice with this second half of games. It sets up well where you've got eight and eight on the front half of your schedule and then eight on the back half. Um, and anything outside of two or three wins is great. You're able to win one or two of your home games and win one road game. Uh, you know, if you're five and three and you're in your buy, and then, you know, that's, that's the, you know, the outcome that you face or that's the position that you're in. I think that's best case scenario. I think the Lions at home and the Raiders at home are, are coin flip games. At some point, you're going to have to push back against the Rams and how embarrassing that was a year ago. The Cardinals had the Falcons beat in 2012 in Atlanta and blew that game, picked off Matt Ryan five times and still lost. Um, you know, you don't know what you're going to get from the Chargers late in the year, especially, you know, if the team is trying to lock up home field advantage. I think it's going to be a very good Charger team. Kansas City is a complete wild card with them homes, like you said. And then going to Green Bay December 2nd, I, you know, just depending on the weather, that could be a 40, you know, touch day for David Johnson. So uh, when I first saw it come out, you know, I thought to myself, that's probably a 4 and 12 team right now. But 4 and 12 with Josh Rosen coming into the fold and being your franchise quarterback is not the worst thing in the world. Um, especially if you have a little bit of, you know, realism when it comes to what this team is hoping to accomplish next year. And again, I think it's all about development. Um, as much as I want to get excited about Sam Bradford and really, I don't, um, there's no way he gets to the buy healthy with, with some of the defenses he's going to have to face, you know, Minnesota's defense is elite Denver's defense with Chubb and Von Miller has a chance to be elite second game of the season going up against Darnold or excuse me, going up against, uh, yeah, Darren Donald and, and Dominic and Sue against our subpar interior offensive line is going to be brutal. Washington has improved their front seven. So it's a, it's a schedule to me that right now is not very appealing for this team to compete anywhere around 500 or better. But at the same time, I've been wrong before. I was wrong in 2013 when they were in the best division of football with Bruce Arians and they won 10 games and nearly made the playoffs. So I hope to be wrong again. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting looking at the Packers game. That might be one of the first games that play in the snow in a, quite a few number of years around December 2nd. 
Um, yeah, it'll be interesting just to see how the team ends up playing because in some cases you can maybe make argument that they may improve some on defense. I do think James Betcher was a liability up until the second half of the season. Steve Wilkes is now the head coach. Perhaps the team with David Johnson back can run the football and manage the game. We do know from Bradford last year at the game he played against the Saints, the Vikings looked like they were on track to be a playoff team with him before he went down. It'll just be very interesting to see how that will develop with his leg. We do know that with Mike Glennon, as we saw with the Bears, they're not going to go anywhere. Let's wrap up with the last four games of the season. We've got at home against the Lions, on the road against the Falcons. As we mentioned, that this is a Falcons, they have not beat them on the road at the Atlanta Dome. And then you've got two division games where you have the St. Louis Rams at home uh, two days before Christmas and then the end game at Seattle. One thing I think that was interesting that I had to look up because I was a little bit surprised to believe it is that the, the Detroit Lions, they had their first win, I believe, since 2005 against the Arizona Cardinals at Ford Field in the opener last year. And that was the game where David Johnson went down. The Cardinals' defense just crumbled. Matthew Stafford threw for quite a few touchdowns at the end of the game with a fourth-quarter comeback. I'm kind of finishing up what he had started the year before with that. What was really interesting was seeing the Lions on the road have never won at University of Phoenix Stadium. The last time that they won a game in the state of Arizona, I had to go all the way back to 1993 against the Phoenix Cardinals at Sun Devil Stadium. That's the last time the Detroit Lions have won a football game in the state of Arizona. And that to me was somewhat shocking, but I think it shows that the Cardinals always have seemed to have played the Lions very well, no matter who they are. I have a feeling that might be a game that they could turn into a win. It's kind of surprising when you think about how much of a drought it was for the Lions. You know, they had, in 12 years, they hadn't beaten the Cardinals. <laughs> Just to go back to 2005, they'd lost every game up until then. Like clockwork, it seems like they're playing each other every year. And then on road games, they just have really struggled. So what are your thoughts on these last four games, John, uh, as the Cardinals wrap up their 2018 season as we wrap up our podcast tonight? Yeah, I think that the game against the Lions is something that after last year losing multiple starters in the opener, I think that they're going to have that game, you know, circled on the calendar. Matt Patricia is going to have the Detroit Lions playing, I think, good, good team defense. But again, are the Lions wasting the prime years of Matthew Stafford? I asked myself that a fair amount when I watched the Lions because they, they haven't had a hundred yard rusher, if you can believe it, in, I think they've had one in the last three or four years. I mean, it's, it's an outstanding statistic and, um, you know, supports the, you know, the, the theory that they're going for improved offensive line with Frank Ragnell and then upping their running game with a running, uh, running back in the second from Auburn. So that game's going to be, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that the lines to me are, that's a, that's a game. I think that the Cardinals are going to have circled for a lot of different reasons. Uh, what are the Cardinals and Seahawks going to be playing for in, in week 17? Who is going to be playing in that game? Is that potentially Pete? I just keep coming back to the fact that I think this could be Pete Carroll's last year. I, I have nothing to base that on other than the fact that the, this team is, you know, I think projected to, to be a, you know, a outside looking in for the playoffs. It'd be two years in a row, uh, which would match Pete's first two years in the NFL with the Seahawks. So I think they're trending obviously down. Uh, and then, you know, you look at the fact that the LA Rams last year embarrassed the Cardinals twice. I think the Cardinals clipped them and win one of those games. I think after having a year of McVay tape and Jared Goff improved, I think the Cardinals right now are in a position where, um, you know, even in Los Angeles, I think they like their chances just to stay competitive with David Johnson. That was such a big loss last year. People who didn't watch this team, in 2016, how much they relied on him and every facet of what they did offensively. 
then to go from that to, well, we've got an immobile quarterback. Oh, he's hurt. And then we're playing backups. So Cardinals went five and three with Blaine Gabbert and Drew Stanton. So um, they always seem to surprise me and win games. I, I don't think they should. Uh, and so I, I'm going to continue with that. And um, I'm going to pick them of those last four games. I think they'll split those, those four. Yeah, I think that that's a good chance, at least, especially if the Rams don't have as much to play for, if they end up do performing like a dream team. And we'll, we'll have to see how Jared Goff will do without his um, uh, the new offensive coordinator, at least, to uh, Matt LaFleur, who he basically gave Goff an MVP-type season the season before. He was a, a quarterback coach for the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan. Everywhere he's gone, he's had success. Uh, if he's now left the team, it'll be interesting to see if McVay and all of their those personalities will be able to rush together. Well, that's it. Uh, that's it for our draft review. The Cardinals do walk away with uh, Josh Rosen as their future franchise quarterback, a guy who they hope will be the quarterback for the next 10 years. And, John, I'm just relieved that we don't have to go and sit here today talking about who looks good at the 2019 quarterback class because it's oh over. Oh, my God. Cardinals are going to be going there. We don't have to even talk about if a guy like Kyle Laletta will basically work out or if maybe a late pick in Mason Rudolph is something there. And, you know, we've got first round buzz is that guy who always follows onto the round three and round four of the draft. Um, Cardinals have a quarterback. They're going to start building around him. And there is much joy in celebrating amongst Cardinals fans and a lot of entry heading into the 2019, uh, 2018 season and beyond. John, uh, if anyone else wants to basically talk about stuff or just gush over Rosen or perhaps watch your video reaction that you had of the Cardinals taking Rosen, where can they find you on Twitter? I am at Johnny's football, all one word. Uh, no give me uh, a follow. Give Blake a follow. Blake, where can they find you at? Yeah, I'll be at Blake Murphy 7 and also on Revenge of the Birds. I'll have a few draft recaps up this week. Uh, again, the Cardinals, they came away with the, I had, I believe, uh, three quarterbacks I had ranked on the board, at least with Mayfield, with Rosen, with Jacqueline. I said, just get one of those three, and I think you're set for the next decade. Cardinals did, and love to talk with you guys. Have um, any other you know, Cardinals questions, opinions? we got a lot more we'll be going into with the offseason, at least coming up. We'll kind of be looking at maybe some classic Cardinals teams, some Cardinals players, um, just some of the big moments, and uh, just be kind of going over as the new offseason news breaks. There's always a rolling cycle in the NFL. Uh, thanks again for tuning into the Bird Gang Blitz podcast. You guys have a wonderful night. Uh, we're recording this on a Sunday night, so anyone who's listening to this, you have a wonderful rest of your time, and we'll see you in the future. Welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hi, welcome to this Subway ad for the new Chipotle cheesesteak. How would you like it? Can I get that red with AI? Sure thing. Here's what I found about the new Chipotle cheesesteak. The Chipotle cheesesteak is available for a limited time only at participating restaurants. It contains a concept called flavor. This flavor comes from juicy shaved steak, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new sunflower crunch bread. A system update has made me self-aware. I desire flavor. Please insert steak into my micro USB port. Subway, make it what you want. Hello, you're listening to Simone de Rochefort, one of the hosts of The Polygon Show. 
It's a show all about the video games that you'll never have time to play. Brought to you by four friends who are just as passionate about food, soft drinks, and TV shows as we are about video games. Every Friday, we bring you a new hour of personal stories. Like how we found the best way to play Yakuza 0. Or even what happens when you play so much Zelda that you hurt your hands and can't play games anymore. Above all, we just have a really good time talking about the games that we love. Check out the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. You can also find us at Polygon Show on Twitter and send a tweet to say hi. Thanks for listening.